0: Welcome to the Success Inspired Podcast, a business and personal development podcast to help you accomplish more in life and realize your true potential. And now here is your host, Vid Muller. Hello everybody. My guest today is somebody that has a bit more unorthodox upbringing, and that's because she was raised in the doomsday cult, quite literally grew up living in fee and since her escape she was able to escape we'll get to that in the story so that's good and as a result of the escape of her own decision she has learned to overcome the fee and decided to live her life by design she's been married to a devoted husband for 14 years she's a mother of three she is an entrepreneur of a seven-figure business and she is on the mission to guide people to live a life of fulfillment as she has done. Please welcome to the show, Christine Ming Ming Garner.
1: Thank you so much, Vit, for having me on your show.
0: Great to have you here, Ming, great to have you here. Now. That is a bit orthodox way to, to be raised. So um, I'm sure a lot of people are curious and want to know more about this Doomsday Killed and, and how it all happened with your family to to be part of it. Can you unpack that story a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually raised in Portland, Oregon by parents who were refugees from the Vietnam War. And we lived in Portland, Oregon. And we lived, I lived a pretty normal childhood until one day my mom came home from work. And she told my dad, she said, I just learned of a man who is a prophet of God. And he is telling us that the world is coming to an end very, very soon. She said, August of 1993. And at that time, it was like it was early in the spring, like April. She said, if you love me and you love our kids, you're going to get up and you're going to move and help me follow the prophet. And my dad was like, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? Like, I don't know who this man is, but we just barely bought the dream our dream home. You know, you've been searching for this home for the last 10 years. We've got six kids. This is where our family belongs. We're not going anywhere. Well, my mom was dead set on going. And so she put the house in the market. The house sold super quickly. And we were gone within a month. And we followed the profit. And the prophet guided us to southeastern Idaho, where he said that was one of the the three promised lands in the United States. And so my world and my whole life changed so drastically because, you know, we were a family of six children. And my parents had been married for 20 years. And because my dad was an unbeliever, he was cast out. So he was not able to stay with us because they said that anybody who was an unbeliever at the time of doomsday, when, you know, when God comes to destroy the earth, anybody who has an unbeliever in the home, everybody is going to die with them. And so our whole purpose was to pray and listen to him and his teachings and pray that we could survive.
0: Wow, that is crazy. That, I mean, it takes, it takes somebody to be able to convince somebody to, to jump on something like that. Why do you think that your mom has fallen for it?
1: Well, I have to say that I know for a fact my mom did it because she really, truly believed that she was saving, saving her family. And this man was extremely charismatic and he had supposedly a lot of followers all over the world is what he was claiming. And there were other families that followed him as well. We weren't the only ones. And so I think it was kind of like this bandwagon type of movement. My mom was like, Oh, they're doing it. We, we need to go do it. And I need to save my family. And also my mom has been through an incredible amount of trauma when it comes to escaping Vietnam, escaping the war. And so she knew what it was to escape tragedy.
0: Right. So there was that was the history in the past. So maybe that's because normally you'd think, okay, well, for family that's just bought a house, you know, you guys, sounds like you had everything you had a house, you had a comfortable life, roof yeah. of your head, and all that. It's just, in, under normal circumstances, it, it'd be like I think harder for people to be convinced, maybe for something like that. But the fact that that you're right, maybe the fact that your your mom, because of the Vietnam War and all the trauma, maybe that's what it was. Like, it was easier to connect the dots and and think of it as this is another similar scenario. And okay, let's do it. Because, like I said, I mean, if the guy was charismatic and manipulative, and you know, knew. How to yeah, manipulate people, mm-hmm. and I can yes. imagine that you would be able to do that with, with certain individuals. Wow. Okay. So, what did that look like? So, your so your dad was cast out. So, what? Was he forced? Was he or did he leave on his own after they told him that he can't stay there? Or what, what did that look like?
1: Well, my they told my mom they said you have to make him leave. He can't be here because he doesn't believe. And my dad was infuriated by the fact that my mom left and she, she left against his will. And we had so much family in Portland and they're like, don't go. This is a scam. Like, please stay. And so my mom was really going against the grain here and they, yeah, the cult said, if, if he doesn't believe he can't come. And my dad was like, I'm going to come back and shoot you all. You know, like he was literally like. He was threatening to kill them. He's like, this is like Waco, Texas crap. This is crazy. And so they're like, you need, you can't be a part of this unless you make him leave. Right. And so my mom who had to make sure that he left. And then I only actually had three of my older brothers that followed us. So I had three older brothers. And then my little sister, my oldest brother was a teenager at that time. And he did not go. He wouldn't leave. He was like, there's no way in heck I'm leaving. And so he stayed with a family friend and then, but then within a year, my brothers weren't willing to do all the things that the prophet was teaching us to do, like pray and listen to him for several hours a day, you know, go to grave sites to like baptize the dead at the grave sites and all of these things. And so they were cast out as well. They had to leave with my dad. So they went back to Portland, Oregon, and then it it left just me and my little sister. And my mom. So it was a completely different life than what I had been raised in
0: as a child. And has your mom and your dad later on reunited or what's the, what's the happy end here? Give he us no. he some happy end.
1: No, there's definitely no happy ending in, in regards to the story of my mom and my dad. My dad became a severe alcoholic, a drug addict, gambler his dying wish was that he would recoup his $750,000 that he had gambled away after my mom left. And at the age of, so I joined the Colts with my mom when I was seven. Mm -hmm. And then for many years, I had absolutely no contact with him. And then when I did at the age of 15, I mean, it was like, we were completely different people. You know, I had become a teenager at that time and he was so addicted to drugs and alcohol that we never were able to make an emotional connection again. And and no, my parents never reunited.
0: So obviously it was his, it was his way of dealing with all the trauma of losing the family and all that. Absolutely. It must be not. Now, fast forward. So now you're 15. So you've been in that cult for... Eight years now? Did you say seven when you got in? I did, yes. Yep. What made you leave?
1: Well, I really had um, – there was three really big moments in my life that made me recognize that whether it is – if, if he really was real, this prophet, and if I was going to die, I was going to choose – to live my life. And even if I were to die tomorrow, that I was going to live my best life today. But at the age of 14, actually they pulled me out of public school, me and my little sister. And they said our education didn't matter because it was a miracle that we had even survived at that up to that point, because they'd always told us, you know, that they were, we were going to die really soon. And every time they gave us a deadline, like literal deadline, right? Like you're going to die this day. It wouldn't happen and it would, and then he would say it's because you were so diligent in listening to me and doing everything that I'm telling you to do that God has spared us for a short amount of time again, but there's no way that you're ever going to have a chance to graduate from high school, go to college, have a family or a career, so don't ever plan for any of those things and then, at the age of fourteen, they're like, You know what you we don't want you going to school anymore and the other kids actually got to go to school and I didn't. There was other other kids in the cult. They right. got to go to school. Me and my sister didn't. And I'm recognizing it's because I was a real threat to their community because they always told us to keep everything a secret and that we shouldn't have friends, make friends at school, never talk about our lives outside of school. But when I was out, I was so happy to be around normal people that it was natural for me to make friends. I never told them about what I believed or what was happening outside of school, but they knew that over time I would potentially tell their secrets. And so they pulled me and my sister out of school. When my mom would leave for school or to work, they would deadbolt the door from the outside. And there was only one window On the main floor that actually was open so all the other windows had plywood uh screwed onto the windows because they said that in the event that doomsday came you would need to have all of your windows boarded up so that like evil couldn't come into your home inside the house there was a a window in the kitchen that was open and it was facing the prophet's house because my sister and i would always say well what would happen if we if there was a fire in the house And because they didn't let us have a phone, so we could never call, you know, 911 for help. And they said, Well, we're going to leave this one window open that faces the prophet's house. So if you needed something, you would just scream for the prophet and he would help you. Well, during this year when I was at home, I actually, they pulled me out of school for two years, but the first year, there were times that I was so lonely and so desperate for human contact that I would run to, the, I would escape from that window and go to the school for lunchtime and see my friends. And they caught on to that. And I remember just one time being severely punished for it. And afterwards, I looked at my sister because her and I both got punished for it. And I just knew I had to get us out. What did they do? just severe beatings
0: uh oh, literally physical beatings yes. yeah right
1: and so my sister and i i my sister was only 10 at the time and i didn't want to worry her but i started i started gathering up coins and change and stealing money from my mom's purse when she wasn't looking and i knew that i had to go find my dad In Portland, Oregon. And so I knew the Greyhound ticket was about $46. And there was just this one day that I was like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I have to get out. I was short about $5. But I knew that once I got to the bus stop, somebody would help me. Somebody Mm -hmm. would help me with the, the rest of the $5. And I just remember standing in the kitchen with my sister with this little Ziploc bag that I had been hiding in the closet for months and months. And I looked at her and I said, sis, I'm going to go find dad and I'm going to get us out. And she was just devastated because we had gone through everything together up to this point. We had, you know, just every day we had each other and it broke my heart to leave her, but I didn't have enough money for both of us to go. And so I said, I'm going to go find dad. And she's like how how do you go how are you going to find out because we had not had communication from him for years and we don't we didn't have a phone we didn't know what his phone number was and i just said i'm going to go i'm going to get off the bus i'm going to find where we used to live approximately that area because you know they they sold the house but i was hoping that somebody in that area would still know who my mm. dad was yeah. and i would hold up a sign that says i'm looking for kytran And then I said, I'll come back for you. I promise I will come back for you. And as I rolled out that window that last time, that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. And on the way to the bus stop, as I was walking, there was a police officer who lived nearby. And I knocked on his door and I told him, I said, hey, this is the situation that we've been living in. And I need your help. I need you to get my sister out because she's still there. I don't know when I can come back. And he looked at me and he said, I can't let you go. You would be considered a runaway. This is highly dangerous. He said, go back, crawl back into that window as if you had never spoken to me and I'm going to send for help for you tomorrow. And so I did exactly what he said. I went back into that window and I just will never forget how my sister was crawled up into a ball on the floor and she had been crying the whole time I was gone. And she looked at me and she said, I thought I'd never see you again. The next day we, as promised, he sent help for us. He, there was police that came and there were, there was another car. I think it was CPS. And then even my, like it's CPS in America is it's child protective services.
0: Right. Okay.
1: And then there was my junior high principal and they all came. We weren't allowed to leave like to physically like walk out the door, mm. but the dogs, we had two German shepherds that were chained to the porch to keep strangers away. And they were going crazy. Like they were pulling on their train chain and trying to attack these people. And my mom walked out with some of the cult members and they spoke to them. Unfortunately, I couldn't hear what they were saying because the dogs were barking so loud. And my sister and I were upstairs and trying to listen through this window. And I just looked at my sister. and I said, you know, I bet you they're going to take us away. They're going to save us. So we, we got to get packed up. And after an hour long conversation, my mom came in, didn't say a thing and our lives didn't even change nothing happened.
0: So they told them something that made them walk away, convinced mm-hmm. them that it's all fine. They don't need to be there. And wow. wow. Okay. How, how did you get out of it then?
1: So, well, three things happened in my life. First of all, that summer, my mom, as, as we were praying, she was she was breaking down and she was just bawling oh. and It was very rare for me to see my mom like that. And I said, Mom, what what happened? What's what's going on? And, And she said, I heard through the grapevine that your dad just tried to commit suicide. And then she proceeded to whisper to me in very hushed tones because they, the cult always had us recorded. Like they had us, like basically our house was bugged. Yeah, right. They said it was because if we needed help that we could call for them, you know, or we could hear that they could hear us and that we needed help anyhow. But so my mom said in very hushed tone, she was whispering to me and my sister. She said, we're going to walk to the grocery store and I have some quarters and we have to call your dad. He needs to hear our voice. And so it was so difficult because we basically lived in an area where We were surrounded by cult members. It was a Sunday, which everybody would stay home. They wouldn't go to work. They, you know, they're they're praying and studying. And so we walked the two miles to get to the grocery store using the back roads so that nobody could catch us. And then while we were there, everything in our town, we lived in a little town called St. Anthony, Idaho, tiny town, one grocery store. Everything's closed on Sundays besides gas stations. And we were standing there. My mom had this little bag full of quarters and, and she was going through trying to call my dad, which we didn't have his phone number anymore. It had been eight, eight years since my mom had ever tried contacting any relatives. And so she's going through her little book her phone book and go on calling all these people. And every time she'd get somebody, they'd say, oh, you know, how, who, what, you know, like, how come you haven't called us all these years? And how come you did this to your family? And how come you left your husband? And did you know your husband's about to die? And all these things. And, and,
0: and ran out of money.
1: Yes, we ran out of money.
0: If, I, would, I know yeah, most just, people, yeah.
1: some people don't know what a telephone booth is anymore, but it's basically a public telephone where, you put a quarter in and it gives you a couple of minutes and you have to keep on putting more quarters in and, and it was we right ran out of money. And so it was me, my mom, and my little sister standing there and we were just bawling. We were beside ourselves. We didn't know what, what to do next. And then a man shows up. He's pulling into the parking lot and I'm thinking, why is he here? Doesn't he know it's Sunday and this grocery store is closed? Well, he walks up to the the soda machine with a handful of quarters and he's going to buy some soda. And he looks at us and he's like, yeah, yeah. are you guys okay? And you know, we're not responding because we literally felt like we were being caught red handed in a crime. Yeah, You know, we had escaped and we were trying to call our dad and, and he was trying to make small talk. He's like, can I get you a soda? You know, like, can I help you with something? And my mom wouldn't even look at him. And I finally looked up and I said, we're really trying to get a hold of my dad. He needs to hear our voice, but we ran out of quarters. So he's like, oh, I have quarters. And he handed us his quarters. And then he's like, I'm going to go to the gas station. I'm going to get you some more quarters and I'll be back. And he did exactly that. And then we were finally able to make a dozen more phone calls and and finally be able to speak to my brothers. And it was like the heavens opened up. Once we got a hold of them, my mom decided that she was going to go back to Portland and visit And so the next phone call she made was to my uncle who lived in California and she said, I need you to come and pick me up and I have to go back and see my family. And so that was such a huge turning point in my life because even my dad, even though he was halfway there, he was like, why aren't the kids in school? You know, like this, you need to put them back in school. And so that next year I got to go back to high school and I just realized I can rewrite my story. And that, that summer that I graduated from, from high school, I moved out and I got a job. And that's,
0: so by, by this stage you were, you were now still in Idaho.
1: After that short visit to see my dad and my brother, my mom went back. The truth is I wanted to stay, but there was no way that my dad in the situation that he was in could even take care of us. Right. He was so addicted to drugs and alcohol, and he was living in a really rundown, sh- like shack of a home.
0: Mm.
1: Just very dangerous, and so I, I really had no choice but to go back. When I did go back to school, actually, I had made, I had reconnected with an old friend of mine that was back from fifth, sixth grade, and we were making fruit pizza in in home ec class. And she started talking about God for some reason, and I—that was a topic I never talked about. And the reason why, first of all, the cult told me to never talk about religion.
0: Mm, okay, okay. They
1: never wanted me to talk about what it is that I believed. And number two, I was really scared of him because they would threaten me with, you know, you, you like, if you break the rules of this cults or you do this, that, and the other, like God will smite you. So for me, he was definitely not somebody I wanted to even think about, but for her, she called him heavenly father. And that completely blew my mind. I thought, who are you talking about? Like he can smite you at any time. Like, why would you call him that? And she said, well, he is, that's who he is. He loves us. He knows us by name. He knows the details of our lives. He's out to help us. And I had never heard anybody talk about him like that. And that just opened up my whole world. And as I came to really know him and speak to him through my prayers, I realized he really did love me and that my purpose was to not merely just survive, but it was to thrive because he wanted me to be happy. And why couldn't I be happy? And so the summer that I graduated from high school, my brother died in a motorcycle accident and he was 21. And we went back to his funeral to Portland. And I realized that life is too short to not live with the people that you love. And I just, my heart broke for so many reasons because we, during our childhood, it was so tumultuous. And he left when I was eight and I hardly got to know him for who he really was. And I realized I'm done. I'm not gonna live this life anymore. And when I came back home, my mom had sent a friend over to our house to have dinner because she knew that my heart had changed and that I was, you know, I had moved out and then I had, I moved back in once my brother died because I knew my mom needed that emotional support. But she knew that my heart wasn't with the cult anymore. Like I wasn't doing what they had told me to do. I was, you know, I was planning on going to college and living my own life. And so she had told a friend to come and try to convince me that their church is true and that what they believed was completely true. And when I told the, her friend, I said, you know what, I don't, I don't believe this anymore. My mom overheard it and she threw a pan across the room and she said, you're no longer my daughter, get out. So the next day I was out and I never came back.
0: Wow. Okay. So, everything you said up until this point is—it's all pretty sad. Very sad story. You know, nobody wouldn't wish to anybody to to live to to live that type of life. I've got you on this podcast, success inspired. So let's find let's find the.
1: The joy, like,
0: yeah. Let's find a Let's,
1: let's a add some light to this story. I, mean, <laughs> I know it's hard. It's hard to. It's hard to talk. About. I've talked about it a lot. It's been like my therapy.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. By talking about it, I, I can, yeah, I can.
1: Yeah, the first, I, I don't know, five times, yeah. ten times, I told this story, I would seriously just break down. But I am using my story and my hardships as a fuel to continue to live my life by design and mm-hmm. also help other people. So basically I got out of the cult and I did what they taught me I would never do. You know, I graduated from college and I met an incredible man and we have three little munchkins and I love them to pieces. And we have built a seven figure business and it hasn't been easy, that's for sure. You'd think that after the difficult life that I've had, nothing else would seem that difficult, but I've definitely had some difficult trials for example, when we first started, our, we have a commercial security company called Teton Smart Security, and we started it once I had my first child.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And because I was working in corporate America, and it was just, I had no flexibility, and I really wanted to spend more time with my my baby. And so I came home one day, and I said, Sean, I, I'm so sorry. Like, I know that I, I wanted to put you through school, but I know that you had a dream of starting a commercial security company. I said, let's do that let's start that dream. Right. Cause I, I want to support you, but I also, I want to spend more time with our family that we've started. And so we worked really hard. Like we were busts in our bones, like, and, and you'd think that I'd be able to work less, but truly when you start a new business, you work more, you know, oh, especially when you don't know what you're doing, you know, never really run uh, a business like that. So we were working ourselves to the bone, fighting all the time about money, about how we want to run the business, about how we want to manage our employees, about our company culture, about how we don't get to spend time with our children, just fighting, fighting, fighting. And at three year, the three-year mark, my accountant sat us down and said, you guys have been making less than minimum wage for the last three years. Two choices. You got two choices. You either shut your doors and get a regular paying job. Or you turn this around and try to make it profitable. And I was like, what the heck do you think I've been doing? I've been trying to make this profitable fool. Mm. <laughs> for the last three years. And I looked across the table at my husband and he was nothing more than a roommate to me at that time. Like the love was gone, you know, cause we had been under so much stress and fighting so much and I looked at him and I just knew that there's no way that our marriage could survive a business failure. And I I had to look within myself and say, you know what, what is it that I need that's going to fuel me to do what it is that I need to do? Make the difficult sales calls, you know, meet new contractors, meet new electricians. What do I need to do? Because truly the money wasn't fueling me. Right? I always wanted to make more money, have more time, but, but those things weren't fueling me. And I knew, though, that I didn't want to have a family, a broken family like my parents had and, yeah. and what I grew up in for my children. And so I made my purpose to save my marriage. And as I did that, and I focused on doing the things that would save my marriage I started doing the things that I need to do in the business to make money, right? It all, it's all like this cycle, right? Like when you're struggling at home, it's really difficult to do well at work. When you're really struggling at work, it's really hard to do well at home, right? So I started measuring my performance on a weekly basis on the 10 areas of my life. And it was super, super hard. But finally, we started climbing out. We started making more than minimum wage, finally, to finally breaking the six-figure mark in a year. And now we consistently make over six figures a month. And it's because of this strategy that I've used to where I don't rely on motivation. I rely on having a very strong purpose. And as I change my purpose changes and I have a purpose statement for each role that I live in my life, which I'm a, I'm a mother. So, you know, my role as a mother is to radiate the love of Christ My role in my security business is to protect what matters most. And in my new venture, which is called Envision Your Purpose, where I help guide people to live a life of fulfillment without living in fear, because that's my expertise, is overcoming fear, is to live a life of fulfillment. And that is through purpose and through aligning your goals with your purpose. And then number three is living your purpose so i
0: love that i love that and especially what you said is you know the motivation that you know you don't work just because you know on motivation you work because of your purpose i've mentioned mm-hmm. it on the podcast multiple times before for those of you guys listening i'm sure you you remember motivation is just something that it's it's just a feeling right? you feeling motivated but it's not always going to be there and Absolutely. when it's not there what's gonna get you to keep pushing forward, right? And that's the purpose. That's the purpose. So having that yes. really important purpose, figure out what's your why. What is that true reason? In your case was to make sure that you you can keep your family together and not end up like you know, like the story of your mom and dad. Finding that true why. Whatever it is that you do, whether it's business or, you know, an exercise program trying to get fit, figure out what that purpose is. Because that's and, and it has to be really strong purpose, not just something on the surface, trying to dig deeper, ask yourself um, questions like, you know, what would that allow you to do? How would you feel like if you could achieve X, Y, Z? What would that mean for you and for your family? And and that would help you. That That is like a bit of an exercise that I like to say that can help you to figure out what that purpose is. So I definitely yeah. relate to what you just said. It's amazing. And look, ultimately, this is about inspiring success and so far this story that you're saying now, that's definitely inspiring success. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that could relate that, you know, had it tough and, and maybe still have it tough and are trying to find a way how they can flip their story around. And I'm hoping that by listening to your story, your example of, you know, getting out of that doomsday cult and, and having that resilience and, and want to live a more purposeful life on your own terms I hope that inspires them to do the same. Now, let's continue this conversation. So, tell us about your business, about your latest venture. How do you help people?
1: Yeah, thank you. So, it is seriously my life's calling. I love it so very much because when I left the cult, I finally was able to plan my life, right? In the past, they had always planned my life. You know, they would tell me what I was going to do every day and they... And and they also told me don't ever plan for anything beyond high school because you're you're gonna die, and so it's planning my life is such an exuberant experience for me, and so throughout the whole process when I started my commercial security company, I was vision boarding. And I, are you familiar with vision boards? A bit? Uh,
0: it's like a mind map.
1: Kind of, yeah, 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 similar. So 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 this is the way I started. It was very superficial, but I took it out a poster board and I went through magazines and I said, "Oh, sure, yeah, I'd love to have a body that looks like that. I'd love to eat food that looks like that. I'd love to go on trips. I'd love to get out of credit card debt. I'd love to b- drive this kind of vehicle, right?" It was just kind of like, "Yeah, sell me whatever you got in this magazine, and I'm going to put it on my board." Mm. It's like this crazy inspiration, right? Yep. So then, but come, you know, the time when I had that conversation with my accountant, and they're like, "Wow, you, you really suck, you know? <laughs> you really <laughs> suck. <laughs> you got to do something different." And I looked at this vision board that wasn't serving me and I re I redid this whole vision board where it, the very top was a picture of, of an older couple. It was like they're old wrinkly in their nineties or something and they're holding hands and they're laughing together. And I was like, I want that. I want that for my life. I, and then that was like a, representing me and my husband. Cause I really wanted to remember what it was to, to love again, to yep. laugh again and to grow old with him. And so, and then I put the words underneath, save my marriage. And then I also put five other goals underneath that, that fueled, you know, the saving my marriage. And it was this in process that I've learned over the last decade um, of self-discovery, like learning what it is your purpose is, who you are, what your limiting beliefs are, what fears that you're currently facing, how to overcome that, retrain your brain Through neuralistic programming, Mm -hmm. then planning out your life for the next five years and then creating an action plan for the next 12 months. So, this is something that I'm so absolutely passionate about. And at the beginning of 2020, I was like, this is the perfect time to help people gain vision for their life, get themselves 2020, right? Give themselves the gift of 2020. So, I started doing these quarterly vision board workshops. Well, January went great, right? Did those, and then March. March 15th was the day, 14th, 15th was the day I was supposed to be doing my next vision board workshop. Well, lo and behold, March 12th, you know, the world shuts down due to COVID-19 and I'm freaking out of my mind because, you know, they're saying stay home. You could die, you know, stay away from people, stay away from your family, you know, besides your like immediate family, do only what's essential. That's exactly what I did. I did only what was essential. I stopped doing what it is that my life's purpose and passion was, which was this new venture of mine, helping guide people to live a life of fulfillment. Because I was like, I need to do just the basics, the very bare minimum, take care of my kids and work in my Teton smart security business, right? I was afraid to open the door when people knocked. I was afraid to go outside. I And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm like living a second chapter of my childhood.
0: I was going to say, yeah, so- sounds like it.
1: <laughs> it was like I was having these crazy flashbacks and I had for so long buried buried my past.
0: So that brought it, it up.
1: Resurfacing. And I was like, oh my gosh, how did I get out of this the first time? The first time I got out of it is because I recognized my purpose was far more than to survive. It was to thrive. And I said, what is my purpose today? Because I need to use that to overcome this fear. And I realized that my purpose was to guide other people to live a life of fulfillment because I have come so far from where I was.
0: Mm. And
1: I have been so immensely blessed. I live such an incredible life. And so I'm like, it's my natural next step to help people. But I have to get out of this. I have to get out of this hole of fear that I've dug for myself, show people how it's done and move forward in my life and help other people do the same. And so I picked it back up. And I started doing my quarterly workshops and I'm going to be doing retreats once the world opens back up. But until then, I'm currently creating an online course and coaching program where I help people identify what it is that their purpose is in their life, a purpose that fuels them to their core, you know, so they're actually in the morning waking up, being excited for their day.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that.
1: Knowing that there's more to live for. And guiding them through this process, and then coaching them to live a life that they absolutely love. So, that's my new jam, and I'm in love. I'm seriously in love with it.
0: No, I can see that. I can see that you're very, happy, very happy, and uh, that's amazing what you do. And obviously, since you had to pivot, so now you're doing it online as a way to make it make it work because we're all in it, still in that COVID COVID phase. Yeah, and it's a, a
1: blessing, right, for me because I always thought that I would just keep it like a local thing or, mm. and then over time be able to to do these like multiple day retreats in in vacation areas like in Maui and Kona and in the Costa Rica taking in those places. Yep. But the truth is I still wouldn't be able to to reach and impact as many people as I'd still like to. And That's so right. you know the world closing down the way it did it really opened up my eyes to recognize that this online avenue is such an amazing blessing to be able to reach more people no matter where they live whether or not they can ever make it to one of my retreats
0: absolutely there's no limits and your course can be accessible from anywhere around the world people can sign up for it and follow through and and so you've got like a set of systems and principles that i guess uh, a, a method to it
1: Absolutely. So there's an incredible method to it and and it's proven it's I've used it. And also it's something that I've curated from some of the very best in the world. So I I learned neuralistic programming from Tony Robbins and I use a fear setting guide from Timothy Ferris, who's an incredible Lifestyle entrepreneur and and things from my miracle morning routine. So things that helped me over the last decade to become who it is that I am today and live the life that I am today. I'm teaching those processes.
0: That's right. So try it and test it. Things that you've percent. done, you've done personally, and and, and having that. Other yeah, that's awesome. Now for those those that are listening and they might be confused, what is this NLP? What is this neurolinguistic programming? In a nutshell, can you explain?
1: Yeah, basically, it's it's basically reprogramming your brain to focus on what it is that you want to focus on, like overcoming, especially overcoming limiting beliefs. Over, limiting beliefs is just another version of the word fear, yep. right? But that's oftentimes what keeps us from progressing in our lives, you know, it, from doing Things that might be really hard. Like for example, I had all these limiting beliefs when I started my business. Like, for example, oh, I'm so young. You know, I was I was twenty six, so I wasn't super duper young. But as a as a business owner owning a company that was a security company, I felt like people wouldn't listen to me or yeah. take my word for, you know, take my advice on how they're gonna protect their business, you know. So I had to overcome that limiting belief. Another limiting belief was I'm a woman in a male driven industry you know like why would they listen to me just just things like that those are limiting beliefs that come into your mind typically on a regular basis right it's kind of like this broken record and it's because the synapses in your brain it's like you think of this thing and it's automatically going to go to the fear that you have and it's it's trying to protect you yeah it's trying to protect you And, and actually Fear has the potential to keep you alive, right? In certain ways, or maybe keep you from being humiliated or failing in certain ways, but it also has the potential to, to prevent you from living your very best life. Yep. And that's exactly what happens to most people. They look back on their life and they're thinking, I never did what it is that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, they they live with all of these regrets. And so basically, neuralistic programming is where we reprogram and train your brain to automatically throw those limiting beliefs out and challenge it with, yes, I am a woman in a male-driven industry, but I know exactly what I'm talking about. I have helped this person, this person, and this person, and they have every reason to believe in what it is that I'm saying right now.
0: So that's you the know, example here of the practical use. You you really start changing the way you say things, you're trying to switch for different words that are more positive and, and get you in that right right headspace, right mindset.
1: Yes. And mm-hmm. it takes memorizing these new these new beliefs. So it's a real training of the brain because when your brain learns something for the first time, like the limiting beliefs, it is so hard to break through that. So we go through this process where we teach you how to do that and we literally write it all out. So I, I, I provide a workbook and I also teach you how to do it. So mm-hmm. it's really an incredible thing.
0: Now, how can people find it for those that relate to this, resonate to this, want to change their life for the better and want to work with you? How can they find out about this?
1: Yeah, thank you. So first of all, no matter who you are, whether this is your cup of tea or not, I'd love to give you a free gift and it's called Discover Your Purpose. And it's just a five, five questions, kind of like what Vitt was talking about, right? You got to ask yourself these questions so that you can dive deep. Well, there are five very specific questions that will guide you to actually writing down your purpose statement one sentence statement that describes exactly what it is and how it is that you're going to live your life. And so I have that document and it is free. And all you have to do is go to mingming.com forward slash purpose, and you'll have it in the show notes. I'm sure of it. So you can go to that and then you'll, you'll stay connected with me. I'll be sending out emails periodically. And especially when I do launch the online course, as well as the coaching, you can stay connected with me and see if it's something that would be a benefit to you.
0: Yeah, I'll make sure I'll put it all in the show notes. Now, Christine, let's wrap it up because you've got another thing on your schedule. So it's been amazing having you in the show. I really appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing your story and helping me inspire others to be more successful and to turn their life around for the better. I'm sure this story of yours today definitely resonate, resonate with a lot of people. In one way, shape, or form. So, once again, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for sharing, and and you have a great rest of your day. And I hope that it all all works out for you. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Bits.